as I think I mentioned earlier, it's it's really important to emphasize here that that aim again is around coherence, building on and extending sort of the CFD framework and the the strategies that are around that, and seeing how those can integrate or be strengthened by considerations around nature and the disclosures in that space. So it is very much about bringing in this sort of location-specific nuance of nature and having a much more holistic understanding. Bringing to light the latest hot topics in investor engagement and ESG disclosure, sustainability and impact, and brand and culture, this is the Luminous Spotlight Podcast. Hi, welcome to Luminous Spotlight Podcast. I'm Kay Kayachik, the Associate Director of Investor Engagement and ESG Disclosures. We're here today to talk about the future of sustainability and green reporting with a focus on TNFD, which is the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures. And I have with me Lauren and Sarah from KPMG. Welcome, ladies. Um, would you mind doing a little intro? Hi, I'm Sarah Nelson. I'm the Global Coordinator at KPMG on Nature and Biodiversity. It's really good to be here. My name is Lauren Weatherden. I'm an Associate Director with a focus on nature and biodiversity at KPMG. And I'm really pleased to be talking about the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures and just nature and biodiversity more broadly speaking and how that can be integrated into corporate decision-making. So thank you very much. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you both here. So I know you both attended COP15, which ended with a landmark agreement. Can you tell us a little bit more about what was agreed? Yes, sure. This is Sarah. Yes, it was a great conference in Montreal in December. Biggest biodiversity conference under the Convention of Biodiversity ever. And there was a record number of businesses and financial institutions, over a thousand actually, attending and engaging in the discussions there. So really a great place to be, a really great energy around that conference and the landmark agreement that resulted in a new global biodiversity framework was agreed by all of the 188 countries who were present there. So that landmark agreement sets out four overarching goals to protect nature and 23 targets to achieve by 2030. And they include things like the effective conservation of 30% of the world's land and seas, phasing out or reforming subsidies that harm biodiversity, and critically for businesses, target 15, which requires transnational companies and financial institutions to monitor, assess, and transparently disclose their risks and impacts on biodiversity through all of their operations, portfolios, supply and value chains. So really a great landmark agreement. They're calling it the sort of Paris for biodiversity. And we look forward now to supporting companies help to um, drive the implementation of that. Wow, that's great. I mean, those are big ambitions. And it really does sound like biodiversity is getting the attention that it deserves. I'm glad there's more momentum in this area because reporting on nature matters. In its most recent global risk report, the World Economic Forum lists biodiversity loss and ecosystem collapse as one of the fastest rising risks over the next 10 years. How do you think companies can address this biodiversity crisis? It's a really good question. And I think I like to think of nature as an actor in the margins that we don't quite notice, but without which the play wouldn't work. Recently, I heard that Simon Zedek note that in reality, 100% of the economy is 100% dependent on nature as almost everything we use in some way links back to the underlying natural assets. So that could be soil, minerals, species, or water, for instance. So I think that the key takeaway message really is that the risk of nature declining is a risk to every business and financial institution. 
as well as an opportunity if we get it right. And I think the World Economic Forum report in particular recognizes this, not just in terms of the, you know, by listing nature and biodiversity loss as risk in the next decade, but also in the next two years. And it links out the, I think, the connections between biodiversity loss and the other top risks quite nicely, as it is really an interconnected system. So there are some practical ways of starting along that journey for businesses. Uh, and in fact, some of the businesses might find that they're already taking actions that can be leveraged or adapted to tackle biodiversity loss. So the starting point really is around defining that initial level of ambition with regards to tackling the issue, identifying those touch points with nature. I think as Sarah was saying, that could be through your direct operations, your supply chain, or your portfolio. And really that journey will be slightly different for each company as each company depends on and impacts nature in different ways. But having that understanding can really help to prioritize those actions and set those clear targets to help address the challenge. So it sounds like the first step is to take a step back and understand what you're doing as a company, but also what you can do, and then mapping out that journey to your ambitions. And I also love the Simon Zadek quote that you you mentioned, 100% of the economy is 100% dependent on nature in some way, shape or form. So that's that's so true. There is an intrinsic link between carbon and nature. Can you explain what TNFD is and then how that overlaps with TCFD? Absolutely. And I think it's something that's a really, really important point to consider because it's part of this overarching, overarching picture of how we move things in the right direction. And these two things can really complement each other and help to deliver on, on shared targets. We often refer to climate change and biodiversity as two sides of the same coin. And it's true in this, the extent that a company will not be able to meet their net zero targets without considering and addressing their impacts on nature. And likewise, climate change is one of those key drivers of biodiversity loss. So we really need to treat these two issues uh, holistically. We are increasingly thinking about how we can support companies with doing this. So for example, by helping to build nature into their transition planning, which was recommended by the Transition Planning Task Force in their recent uh, guidance, and also by GFAMS. But it's also really important to recognize that biodiversity and nature are really only one part of the solution to climate change, just as climate change is only one of those drivers of biodiversity loss. So while these issues have a large area of overlap, there are also differences, and we do need to ensure that our approaches account for some of these differences. So just on the, the TNFD note, very specifically, the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures recognizes this, and it intends to expand on the TCFD guidance and framework. So it's not trying to create something entirely new, but it wants to use the same four pillars of governance, risk management, strategy, and metrics and targets, but then tweak and adapt that so that it accounts for those nuances of nature, helping companies to understand and manage their uh, nature-related dependencies, impacts, risks, and opportunities. That's a great point that you touched on. You know, while there are differences and a need to adapt the approach, it's also great that the companies don't have to start from scratch when it comes to TNFD, because it's, you know, to build on an extension of TCFD. So I think that it'll make adoption easier and, and quicker. Do you think will TNFD be reflected in the ISSB? I think it's too soon to say concretely. So ISSB and TNFD were both at the Convention of Biodiversity COP in Montreal at the end of last year. And there we heard positive signals. So the ISSB have indicated, for example, that they are aiming to reflect the climate nature nexus and to consider TNFD and other nature-related frameworks that are focused on investors. We've also heard from GFANS that they are urging financial institutions to assess their risks associated with nature and to account for the role of nature in facilitating a net zero transition. 
And likewise, the Transition Planning Task Force has also encouraged integration of nature within transition plans as efforts to address deforestation and integrate nature-based solutions. They are critical to this journey. So this is really being discussed right at the moment. We're expecting to see this year a lot of movement around these standards, these global standard settings, um, as things like the TNFD finalises its framework and as the ISSB continues to do its considerations on this topic. Gosh, it sounds like a lot of a lot of things coming our way. So we look forward to see how it all shakes up. What does becoming nature positive mean? I mean, I, I hear this you know, term being bandied about quite a lot when it comes to sustainability reporting, especially around TNFD. But what does that really mean? Yeah, it's a really good point. And nature positive was actually very much part of the discussions around the CBD COP15 itself. And so, for example, there was a large nature positive pavilion. There was lots of specific events on nature positive. And the term nature positive came up in almost every conversation in Montreal. That being said, nature positive is not yet formally defined. It's currently viewed more as a set of principles that businesses can implement rather than a precise goal or target. And that phrase that is gaining traction, well, the problem is, is that without that broad alignment and without that current formal definition of what it means for businesses and finance, the term can be interpreted, valued and used in very many different ways. And that actually creates a risk of undermining the ability to drive forwards meaningful change. And it was this lack of formal definition of why, for example, the term nature positive itself didn't actually make its way explicitly into the formal text that was agreed in CBD COP15 in Montreal. So it's not in the post-2020 global biodiversity framework. That being said, it is implicit through the language in the text. The overall intent of the overall global biodiversity framework, which is aiming to reverse the loss of nature and biodiversity, that can be said that that is actually sort of driving forwards that nature positive agenda. And it also provides that new global biodiversity framework, provides that helpful framework for how businesses might be able to do that. Well, we can only hope for more clarity, I suppose, around you know what nature positive means. But I think the aim for um, a nature positive future sounds very promising. So there's been an acceleration of reporting around nature and biodiversity loss since COP15. What can companies do now to better understand TNFD and nature-related reporting? Also, excellent question in the sense that I think linking back a little bit to what Sarah was saying around nature positive, what we're really aiming for is having that overarching sort of North Star that can guide guide that high level of ambition. And then with beneath that, in terms of getting into the reporting, what we're looking for is a really strong quality and a robustness of non-financial reporting, whether that's climate, nature, or other ESG considerations. And that really needs to be equal to the level of financial reporting. So I think having that North Star then combined with this sort of level of rigor is what we're really seeing leading companies putting into place. And using those finance quality processes and controls for non-financial reporting, as well as the accompanying governance frameworks need to ensure that they have that level of confidence. As I think I mentioned earlier, it's it's really important to emphasize here that that aim, again, is around coherence, building on and extending sort of the CFD framework and the, the strategies that are around that and seeing how those can integrate or be strengthened by considerations around nature and the disclosures in that space. 
So it is very much about bringing in this sort of location-specific nuance of nature and having mm. a much more holistic understanding. And I guess the final just quick point on that is that this is very much a journey on the nature front. And each step that a company takes will help to reveal that risk appetite, the level of ambition in relation to nature and biodiversity. And really, the sooner the, the actions can be taken to identify and understand a company's touch points with nature, again, including those impacts, the dependencies, the risks and opportunities, the faster that appropriate governance, risk management, corporate strategy, and those metrics and targets can be put into place to guide that journey. Great. Th those are really great insights and, and recommendations. So thank you. So next is, is something, you know, is a question that we actually get quite a lot from our clients. Data and metrics are a challenging area for companies when it comes to TNFD, as there isn't a global standard or metric yet. How can companies find those science-based targets and metrics that are material to them? I completely agree. And yes, data and metrics come up time and time again, and this is an area of particular interest and passion for me. One important, I guess, reference, of course, are a combination of the TNFD, but also the science-based targets network. And they had uh, done a landscape assessment that found that there were more than 3,000 different nature-related metrics in use already today by standards bodies and regulatory bodies, and also then in, in the scientific literature as well. So there's a lot, a lot to draw on, and of course, that can be quite overwhelming. You then also have that global picture that Sarah touched on as well in terms of the post-2020 global biodiversity framework and the associated uh, indicators that come with that. You have the sustainable development goals. So again, it's a lot to kind of wade through. But ultimately, while there's no one size fits all in terms of data, there are many data sets and tools out there that can be helpful to companies to make a start. I'd previously done some work that identified more than, you know, more than 250 global biodiversity data sets and almost an equivalent, if not more, number of platforms and tools. So this is really about synthesizing. And that's where that, those initial steps that a company can take to identify what are your priority touch points and then what's available in terms of data around that. And if the data aren't available internally or through suppliers, what are some of the global data sets and tools that can be used to supplement in the interim or help to provide that sort of initial step towards understanding that change and what's needed? And then you can kind of build the frameworks and the data sets, the data flows required to be able to, to support that journey. The guidance sounds very useful, and I hope more companies set, you know, clearer science-based targets and metrics that stakeholders can then use to measure progress year on year, which I think would be very useful. Moving on, how can companies begin to assess their, their full biodiversity impacts throughout the value chain? What are the first steps, do you think? What should they prioritize? So the first steps are really about understanding their key interfaces with nature. And to do that, it's sort of mapping out their business footprint and really understanding, for example, what the biomes and ecosystems that they or their suppliers interact with actually are. So understanding, for example, where their priority locations are based on critical ecosystems, and then identifying the sectors, the business units and the assets at these priority locations. And that sort of first step of doing that initial assessment is really what we're suggesting is what companies start with um, when they're starting on this biodiversity journey. That's very useful. Thank you. So TNFD provides guidance called LEAP, L-E-A-P, that helps companies better understand their physical and transitional risks around each of the nature focus areas. Could you briefly summarize how that approach works? Very briefly. 
Sure. <laughs> so briefly, the LEAP framework, as you mentioned, it, it lays out four simple steps. I say simple, I'll come back to that, around nature-related risk and opportunity identification and management. So those are locate, which involves, again, as Sarah mentioned, locating those key interfaces with nature, evaluate, evaluating those dependencies and impacts on nature, and then assessing material risks and opportunities. And then finally, preparing to respond and report on the TNFD recommended disclosures. So of course, the framework is really clear. It does echo TCFD. And I think the key message here is not to let perfect be the enemy of the good, because there are steps that can be taken. As mentioned earlier, there's data available and tools that can help to support this pathway. And I think that initial run through of the framework is really key to help identifying those gaps that might need to be addressed in the coming years, and also then to prepare so that when that does come in as mandatory, that you have sort of the foundations required to be able to respond in in that required time frame. So the again, the, I can only emphasize the earlier the conversations around this can be had, the better, both in terms of direct operations, but also with suppliers or portfolio companies. And then that can really help to, really for all of us kind of to move together because it, it probably will depend ultimately on all of us being able to set those foundations in place. I agree. I think the earlier, the earlier, you know, we all jump into action, the better. And um, here's hoping to more companies leaping into action. So TCFD is is now mandatory, as we all know. Do you think that TNFD will also become mandatory? Good question. And I think it's a, a little bit too early to um, answer this. I've already talked a little bit about that target 15, which was agreed at CBD COP. So just as a as a reminder, target 15 actually requests governments to take measures to encourage businesses and financial institutions to monitor, assess and disclose their risks and impacts on biodiversity. Now, what, what happens next? So these global goals are, were agreed in Montreal. Each government now takes those global goals and they take them back to their country, and then they set their own national goals and targets using those global goals and targets as a guide. So while the language agreed at the global level stops short of setting mandatory disclosures, it really will be down to individual governments to see how they translate those global goals into the national level. And we're already starting to hear, for example, some hints from governments, including the UK, and that they may make TNFD mandatory as part of that process of transposing those global level targets down to national level targets. But time will tell on that. That's interesting. Yes, time will tell. And going back to, to what Lauren was saying earlier as well, early adoption is key when it comes to TNFD. So I think this is something companies need to keep in mind, you know, should TNFD become mandatory in the UK. So what what are you seeing in terms of market leadership around biodiversity that others can adopt or learn from? I think I can speak on behalf of Sarah and myself that we were both incredibly inspired by the businesses and the financial institutions that attended COP15. I mean, for both of us having been to these before, it was a first in terms of the, just that level of ambition and also the voices that were and the shared experiences that were being brought to the table. And there was a lot that was already being done, including by um, both corporates and financial institutions around assessing these impacts and dependencies and also really providing some of those innovations that will, will be key to this in the coming in the coming decade. The other thing I found quite interesting was around that peer-to-peer -peer knowledge exchange. So the financial institutions in particular are doing a lot of that and helping to drive action forward. And also they are mobilizing around certain targets. So for instance, reducing deforestation linked activities within their portfolios. 
there is that momentum. And again, we are having a growing number of clients who are approaching this from different perspectives. So some are building on their existing foundations with climate-related disclosures and strategies, while others are first aiming to define their level of ambition with relation to nature, and then to explore those synergies with their existing strategies and risk management systems. So these initial assessments really are some of the quick ways of kind of seeing where where within that landscape you'd like to sit and how you'd like to incorporate this in a way that really helps to leverage and build a strong holistic strategy. And I guess the final thing I'll just end on with that is that it's really important to note that the disclosures are just the start of that journey. This is really about embedding biodiversity alongside climate across the business, as it would not only help to address a risk, but also it's an opportunity to reframe how businesses contribute to building a net zero nature positive future. Great. I mean, it sounds like there's lots to digest and consider, but it's, you know, it's wonderful to hear that there's lots of momentum and galvanization around biodiversity. As Sarah was saying, time will tell. So we're looking forward to, to what happens next. Well, that was a lot of useful nuggets of information around TNFD and the future of sustainability reporting. Thank you so much for your time today um, and a great conversation around such an important and pressing topic. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in. For more insights, visit our website at www.luminous.co.uk.